welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I can't wait for you to hear today's episode. I'm very fortunate to speak with Ty Bennett. Ty is the founder of Leadership Inc., a speaking and training company with a mission to empower individuals and organizations to challenge their status quo, cultivate exceptional relationships, and compete in extraordinary ways. He's changing lives one leader at a time. He's authored several best-selling books focused on the power of story, influence, and collaboration. Ty generously shares stories about his youth that helped shape him and talks candidly about the benefit of failing and what you need to be successful in business and life. Please enjoy this episode. Hello, Ty. Thank you so much for joining uh, me this afternoon. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Um, This is our first meeting, but I feel like I have an advantage because I've heard a lot about you from our shared connection, Miss Missy Mills, and I've also had the pleasure of reading your books and may have spent some time over the last 24 hours trolling you on the internet. (laughs) Perfect. Well, now you know everything that you need to know. Um, And I'm really excited to talk with you after reading your material and hearing um, and learning more about you. I've discovered that we share two great passions. Um, Okay. The first is the art of communication, and the second is supporting the development of future leaders. Cool. Um, Or as I sometimes like to refer, this is my new term, lights out leadership. So cool. <laughs> um, and just a little bit, because this is our first time meeting, my background, I am a, an HR executive that um, recently changed careers and started my own business. But I worked for like 20 plus years uh, for organizations like Amazon, Deloitte, and PwC. And in the last 10 years, I've seen a, dra- a, a great decline in what I consider to be soft skills or people skills uh, in terms of that side of the business. So effective communication, presentation, collaboration, interviewing. And I find that people are delayed or even blocked from progressing because these skills are so underdeveloped. Uh, So I'm on a crusade to help develop these soft skills in young adults. And I'm starting with young adults at... um, the middle school level, um, all the way up through those that are early in their employment. Um, And I'm just hoping, my desire is that through helping people develop these skills, they'll be ready for leadership opportunities and for employment when when the opportunities present themselves. Well, I love it. I think that's, I mean, a great mission. I I agree with you. I'm curious why you think there is that decline, because I see it too, uh, but I'm curious what you would attribute that to. Yeah, so I've uh, I've thought a lot about this and I've done some informal focus groups as I've built out this mission and this idea. And I think there's a couple of contributing factors. I think one and the obvious that people immediately go to is technology. And I would say that technology is a component in that because we're using technology to communicate, there's less of an opportunity to have that face-to-face interaction. I think in classrooms, 
there's more technology. So, you know, back 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you had to interact with your teacher more. You had to ask more questions. There, there's a lot that's happening through the technology that I think is um, now blocking that opportunity. And then I also think, um, which maybe even is more of an influencer from my perspective, is that schools and teachers, uh, the system isn't structured such they have time to educate students in this way. So they, they're teaching to tests more often now, and there's a lot of pressure to teach on the technical and the academic skills. And so the expectation is that parents are teaching these skills at home. And I think we've got a lot of dual income families and people that are stretched and there's not as much time. And so there isn't as much of a, a focus on these skills. So that's that's my perspective. I'd love to hear what you think or what you think some of the contributing factors are. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's I think it's complex, right? I don't think it's one thing, but the but definitely the rise in technology, you're losing some of those people skills and just the opportunity for the interaction which develops those people skills. I think about my kids, I've got four kids from age 13 down to 5, and because I recognize that and because of what I do, like that is a total focus for me of yes. helping to develop those skills and, you know, giving them opportunities like we just, I helped my three older kids put together a business that they're growing and and part of that is just for them to go out and knock on doors and talk to adults and interact and just learning how to do that. You know, my daughter was sending text messages out to all of the, the customers that they have yesterday and kind of walking through like the verbiage on that. All those things I think are important to yes. learn uh, because I think they set you apart ultimately you know, you can go and get an education and learn the technical expertise that you need to get a job, but the the leadership skills, the soft skills, those pieces that really can distinguish you and allow you to build those relationships, grow in your career, advance, and those things, uh, I, I think are extremely important and not taught uh, as well or as often as they should be. So, yeah, this is fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think What's interesting too is you can be technically competent and an individual contributor and do very well at work. I think yeah. where the rubber meets the road is when you want to lead others or they need you to evolve and develop in your career. And because there hasn't been a lot of time spent in this space, you're then limited or you may be pushed out or you're overlooked because you haven't developed the side of yourself. So. I think there's a real opportunity. It's interesting. I uh, have a relationship with someone at George Mason University, and I've been doing a bit on social media about this topic, and she saw what was going on, and she reached out to me and shared that in their business program, just within the last three years, they have now developed specific curriculum in their business school, a 100-level class and a 300-level class just on soft skills basically. And so as we were talking, she shared the curriculum with me and I was like, oh my gosh, this is all <laughs> the stuff that I, I wanna do workshops and teach on. And she said it resulted in employers coming back to their career services center saying, your candidates are lacking significantly in these skills and they're not as competitive. So I feel like it's it, there's some momentum here and that there's, you know, maybe an opportunity or a gap for people to see, you know, there's opportunities for us to help and develop them. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, the two books you mentioned, uh, The Power of Influence and The Power yes. of Storytelling that I wrote, both of them are used in different uh, with different universities, but typically in graduate courses or in MBA programs, one of them in a real estate-specific program. And so I think sometimes... You know, that that undergraduate or, you know, unless they're getting advanced degrees, we're missing that. Yeah, I agree. There is a gap for sure. Yeah. So when I was um, trolling and looking <laughs> at all your <laughs> accomplishments, um, I noticed, okay, so you have written at least four, may, maybe five books, The Power of Influence, The Power of Storytelling, The Two Most Important Days of Your Life, and Partnership is the New Leadership. Um, Correct. The fifth one's in the works, but it is not done. So yeah, those four. If only, if only there were five. <laughs> um, and then you also um, has started your own organization called Leadership Inc. And then yep. you often speak at conferences that are focused on leadership forums, conferences, seminars. Right. You you often are a, a, a guest speaker or a public speaker in those types of venues. Right. Yeah, primarily that's what I do is I, I speak as a keynote speaker for a lot of sales and leadership conferences per, per, primarily. And and then with Leadership Inc., we do some ongoing leadership seminars. So actually today, one just finished in Omaha, Nebraska for our Leadership Inc. Institute. And um, so, yeah, we're just uh, trying to, to share great ideas and inspire leaders wherever we can. It's just, I mean, I have to tell you, as I was looking through all this, it's its really quite inspiring in terms of how much you've accomplished um, and, and at such a young age. And so I'm, I am endlessly curious about how people find their path and how they navigate towards, you know, their own fulfillment and their future. So yeah. I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about you know, where you grew up, what that was like, and, and potentially, like, what were some of the influences that led you down this path? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was born in Utah, which is where I live now, but I was basically raised in Colorado from age five on. Uh, that's where we lived. Uh, my parents are both fantastic. Um, I think from my dad, uh, well, really from both, um, I learned a very strong work, work ethic. That was something that they valued. My dad um, had a very successful career in sales, uh, and they taught us how to work at a young age. I was always a kid who was pretty ambitious, and um, but you know, like I think about now some of the things that my parents supported us in, and I, and as a parent, I kind of laugh about it. But uh, you know, from age eight to twelve for four years. My brother, who was just a little bit older than me, he and I had a paper route where we delivered 150 newspapers every day of the year at 5 a.m. You know, mm -hmm. so yeah. I've got bo I've got boys now that are eight years old and ten years old, and they're hard workers. They get they would they like to get after things, and but I don't know if they would get up at five in the morning every single day of the year. I mean, literally, there's no days off, right? So right. if we if we went on vacation, we had to find a sub, but it, rain, snow, Sunday morning, Christmas morning, it really didn't matter. Um, my parents were saints to support us in that regard. But um, but I that taught me how to work. Right. It taught me how to follow through. Um, I, to be honest, it kind of taught me that making money is fun as well. Mm, and so, yeah. um, you know, I, I had that entrepreneurial 
spirit in me and not just my parents but we were we had some I had some really great mentors that um, kind of opened doors and and taught me how to um, how to build businesses and and some of the things that they were into so a couple of things that stand out to me um, we had a a mutual family friend who he was a he sold to basically athletic equipment and um, like he sold and one um, gear and he mm. sold uh, a via shoes and different things and um, he would sell two stores he was a wholesaler and so he set up a business with my brother and I where we would do sample sales and sell out his sample stock and uh, set it up kind of like a garage sale but with all new stuff and we kind of built a business through high school doing that with him and then in high school I got really involved in a business program that's called DECA Mm -hmm. and um, and that was uh, a great experience to learn more around leadership I was really involved in kind of the leadership side I was the president for our school Um, I was the vice president for the state of Colorado and did some things that way and then for my competition side I my, the competition I chose to compete in was the entrepreneurship competition, which basically functioned like Shark Tank, right? right I came up with right. a business. I presented it to judges who were acting as venture capitalists, trying to convince them to invest in my business. And so there were some, definitely some entrepreneurial experiences and some things that um, I learned along the way. I, As part of DECA, I ran our school store. And I remember my senior year, um, I made a decision to add nachos and Dippin' Dots ice cream to the school store, which was like a huge expense to go into it, but it added an additional $60,000 in revenue that wow. year, That's which is gross when you think about that much nachos and Dippin' Dots. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, just I just had this, I, I've just always had kind of an affinity towards business, and because of that, um, you know, luckily for me, doors opened and there were right. some great people to to learn from and to, you know, some wonderful adults, my parents included and others that taught me how to do it. So I went to school to study entrepreneurship. Um, that was that was the direction I wanted to go, not knowing exactly what I wanted to do, but right. knowing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I would work with people. I really like people. Um I, I always in the back of my mind had this this liking of speaking. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I I felt like I was somewhat natural at it. Right. Um, and actually, if I go back, when I was like 12 or 13 years old, for, I was a weird kid, I guess, but I got into magic. Oh, <laughs> and, magic. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and I started... But, like, I very quickly turned this idea of being a magician into, like, a business because I was, like, doing birthday parties and oh I got a gig doing a state fair and, I don't know, it was really random. I See, this is where my parents are saints. Like, I literally owned doves that would, like, <laughs> squawk all night long and because I would make the doves appear and disappear. But that was, like, my first stage time, I guess, you know. Uh, it, it's really random, but... Um, so it's interesting. So th- I feel like for people that maybe, um, and it's like I, I'm just realizing how much of an entrepreneur I am, and I don't because I was in big business for so long. I don't think I realized that a lot of the characteristics 
uh, that you need to be an entrepreneur uh, play in a lot of different ways. It, you know, it isn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to start your own business. There's ways that you can do that within a construct. But w- what I wanted to ask you, because if someone's listening and we're hoping that we get some young adults that listen to this, I think a lot of parents do. So maybe they'll, um, ask their kid to come along and take a listen. But if you were to describe some of the characteristics that successful entrepreneurs have, what would you, what would you say? Like, what are maybe the top five that you would say describe this kind of, uh, because you had mentors and you had people that were exhibiting that for you or modeling it. And like you said, maybe you had a, an, an affinity already of like, oh, this is fun and I can make some money. But are there other things that kind of stick out for you in terms of your natural capabilities that led to being a good entrepreneur? For sure. And actually, um, I'm not there yet, but I, I want to write a book around, I believe that to be relevant in today's world, uh, you need to learn to think like an entrepreneur. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do. And that, I'm not saying you have to be an entrepreneur, but I think that that's one of those things that I think with my kids, like I want to, like we watch Shark Tank together and I want to help them start a business because I want them to think like that. I want them to understand how it works and to think about. So going back to your question of maybe five attributes that entrepreneurs have. Uh, one, I think they are problem solvers. Uh, I think that when you see a situation, uh, entrepreneurs don't take a victim mentality at all. They look at things with curiosity and they say, okay, how can we fix this? How could we make this better? What could we do with this? How could we leverage this opportunity? Like they're constantly looking to solve problems. That's all business really is. It's you know, solving a problem that people are willing to pay for. And so if you can find that niche, big or small, you can create a business, big or small. And so I think uh, they're great problem solvers. I think entrepreneurs are hard workers. They're very ambitious. And here's the interesting thing. These attributes I'm going to give you, they're all off the top of my head, but I'm sure this is going to work out. Uh, (laughs) They're all going to be attributes that you could apply to any job, right? right? Uh, right. it's, It's not just if you're starting your own business, but they're, they're attributes that are essential. So I'm going to go with problem solving is number one. Hard work is number two. Um, and, and when I say hard work, like, I don't mean like give a hundred percent. That means like 20% on Monday and 25% on Tuesday. Like this is show up every day and work harder than most people would work. I I think we're losing that. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, where all too often, like that's, with my kids that's the thing that with sports and other things like that that I want them to learn is when you don't feel like it you keep pushing when you when you hate everything about it oh well you suck it up and you still get the job done like the job isn't done you're not finished until the job is done and so that kind of work ethic I think is important um number three I'll go with uh the ability to communicate I think learning how to enhance your communications, learning how to present your ideas, learning how to interact and engage other people in conversations, learning how to tell stories. Communication is huge. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't care if you go into IT, it doesn't matter. Being able to communicate with other people and to influence other people through that communication is important. Yeah. Uh, number four, I'm going to say, and I especially saw this with people I was around, and so it influenced me in a big way, but being generous. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, really having a mindset where it's not about you, it's about other people. As I say that out loud, I can think of several people just because we were back in those memories growing up that yeah. were some some of the most generous people I can think of. Um, you know, just giving me, I mean, as a teenager, giving me the time of day, right. you know, like just, just allowing me to ask questions or telling me about their business. Or I remember one girl I was dating, her dad was an entrepreneur and he was starting a new company and uh, he and I got into conversations and he realized that I was curious about it. And, you know, I get that he kind of leveraged me in this, but I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. He he was coming out with a new product line and he was like, we're brainstorming uh, names for this product. He goes, what if you got together like 20 kids and I'll buy pizza and you guys all come over and we sat and brainstormed and came up with like the name of his product line. And yeah. it was like the coolest experience to me. And for him, it was like the cheapest way to do it <laughs> instead of hiring a PR agency. But yeah, uh, but but they were generous, right? In that um, in that fact. Um, and so those those four, I think, are very universal, right? Um, but I, I think I see that in entrepreneurs. Um, that I've interacted with, and I see it in great leaders in, in corporations and, you know, people who are growing and developing, moving up the, the line. And the fifth one that I would give is that they are constant learners. Yeah. They're always wanting to learn, always wanting to grow. They read books. They listen to podcasts like this. They're they're trying to develop and realize that they're not a finished product. And right. so, yeah, those are the five those that come to mind awesome. for me. And it actually dovetails to this question I wanted to ask you about your power storytelling book. So I loved what you said um, about you have a theory um, that raises people's hopes, right? So if you have an idea or you have a passion, it gets your hopes raised, you're kind of motivated, but practice raises their income. And I, I loved what you said about that because I am constantly telling my students, my workshop participants and my clients that the key to soft skills is practice that that it's not like inherently because you've been labeled an extrovert you're automatically great at this that it takes practice and it takes time to hone these skills and so considering you are a published author but also a world-known speaker uh, a keynote speaker I'm curious outside of practice or maybe it dovetails or it's part of practicing but what other training or what other things have you done to develop this skill relatable is sponsored by TFA soft skills your one-stop shop for workshops coaching speaking and soft skills development if you'd like to hire Teresa visit www tfasoftskills.com for more information. So, you know, this for me, speaking is a craft, right? This is what I do. If I look at all the ways that I get paid, it is literally based on my ability to communicate. Um, It is me on stage. It is me hosting a podcast. It is me writing a book. Like that's where I make my income. So I look at what I do in the area of communication as a craft. So I practice a lot, but I also record everything that I do. Mm-hmm. And so I I go back and I've, I've recorded more presentations of me. Like it's not healthy how much I've gone back <laughs> and studied and listened to myself yeah. and 
and watch video and it's so cringeworthy like that's a hard thing to force yourself to do yes but it's very eye-opening so that is something I do constantly um, I hire coaches I've done some different programs over the years uh, that I've paid to be a part of in terms of um, you know learning more around communication or uh, you know I as I started to get into writing my first book I hired a coach and different things like that um, now the coaches that I hire typically uh, like this last year I hired a coach that's a comedian to come and see me speak mm. and to give me feedback and to kind of help punch up some of the humor in my presentation and and to give me some different ways to look at it. Um, so uh, those are things yeah. that I'm constantly doing and investing in. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the beauty of it is for me as a speaker, as I look at if you go back nine years ago, I was getting booked as a speaker and I thought I was good. Right. But if I watch the videos now, I am so embarrassed, like <laughs> ridiculously. And the truth is, I hope that in four or five more years, I'm embarrassed of what I'm putting out today. Yeah. You know, that that trajectory has to keep growing. And so I have to keep putting effort into it. One of the things I think you talked about, this video is so compelling. And so we've done a lot in my old life of, you know, facilitation and facilitation certification and videoing people because the camera does not lie. <laughs> so yeah. you, you do get that. And anyone can do that, right? So if you're someone that's nervous to present or um, you want to develop that skill, the, the video. And then the other thing I love that you said, which... Um, I think is a big misnomer, especially with younger people, although I do think some adults do this as well, but someone could look at you and think, he's just gifted and it just comes to him and he has all of the success without recognizing the hard work that you talked about and the fact that you're constantly retooling or you're looking at other ways to develop these skills. And I think, you know, for people to hear that it is a constant effort, that it is a craft, that you're working at it, it's just like everything else, um, or it applies to anything that you want to be good at, is that you've got to, you know, try, and you got to try different ways to do it, and if one doesn't work, that's okay, you just kind of get back up and try another. Yeah, for sure, I and I think I have a couple thoughts around that. Yeah. Um, one is, is I, I think the way that you look at failure influences that in a huge way, because if you look at failure as, as fatal, I mean, I fail every day, like right before this call today, we booked one speech. So that's a success, but I pro I had two that I can think of that went with other speakers, mm. you know, so I failed. Like I did not get hired. That happens to me every single day. Mm. That's just part of the process, right? So just learning from it. And how do I learn from it? I asked my agent, okay, who did they book? Because I want to know. I want to go look at their website. I want to see why would they choose that person over me. What are they? What does their video look like? What are you know? What are their qualifications? Some of those things, and just try and learn from them and, and get better from it. Uh, the other side of it too is, I I think I was born with some talent in this area, um, but there's a point with every one of us that we're going to reach a point where our talent's only going to take us so far unless you really work at it. Right. Uh, like my, I, I have a daughter who is kind of good at mostly everything that she's done, like <laughs> athletically and stuff. She just, she just picks up on things really quick. And, 
and she's really good at it. And she, from the minute she started playing soccer, she was like the best soccer player on the field. And now fast forward to age 13 and she's playing on a premier team. It's the fifth best team in the state. And now all of a sudden she's fighting for playing time, right? right. She's got to work at work at it because her natural ability is only going to take her so far. And so, yeah, I do think I had some gifts in that, but I have put in a crazy amount of work to yeah. continue to develop those gifts just like I think everybody does, unless you're okay with the ceiling being pretty low because your natural talent's only going to take you as far as it's going to take you. Exactly. I think, too, in this area, just one more question about presenting and public speaking. So I, I hear from a lot of parents, and I certainly saw this in my professional career, that people are terrified of presenting, right? There's certainly a spectrum of people that are comfortable getting up and can wing it or, you know, you know, aren't as that, what you talk about in terms of failure, like, oh, well, if I mess it up, it's not that big a deal. And then there's the people that are trembling, flop sweat. So curious um, from your perspective, for those, you know, that you've coached and people that you've talked to that get really nervous, you know, that can barely kind of handle that situation, any counselor advice that you have from your experience or from others that you've talked to? For sure. A um, couple of things. Yeah, I think there's some people who they're they're naturally going to have a little bit more of fear and anxiety around it. Um, the more you prepare for it, the the more it's going that's going to dissipate. It's just like anything else. It's you're nervous when you don't feel confident in something, right. and so the more the more you prepare, the more you know what you're going to say the more expertise you develop in a certain area. So you feel confident feeling any question and being in front of a, somebody and being able to answer them with, with some form of confidence, the stronger you're going to be. Mm -hmm. Right. So the preparation piece I think is huge. The other thing from just a mindset perspective is if you think about when you're nervous, like if I were to put you up in front of a room and you're nervous, when your thought process is nervous, your focus is on you. Correct. Right. I mean, right. You're sitting there thinking, okay, what am I going to say? Do I look okay? What are my slides all in place? Is my fly down? Like your focus is completely focused on you. Right. And one of the things I figured out for me is to shift that focus. It's not about perfection and me showing up and being perfect. It's about connection with the audience that I'm in front of. Mm -hmm. And so if I focus on them, for me, this is how I do it. This is my own personal yeah. way but right before I speak if I'm trying to really focus on what I'm going to say I'm screwed like I, I need to know right. what it is that I'm right. going to bring there it's uh, there's no winging it in this this is like you know professional so you're going to be prepared but right before I speak I go around and I say hello to people I introduce myself to people I say hi and try and in engage them and interact and have good conversation. I do that more than anything else for my energy yeah. so that it takes my, my mind away from exactly what I'm going to do. And it allows me to build connection in the room. And I look out and I can see, you know, some people with smile on their face because they know me and I, I feel like I've got some friends there, yeah. but it allows me to focus on connecting with them instead of just trying to show up and be perfect. So those are two simple yeah. thoughts but they make a big difference yeah i would totally agree that's the audience piece and the fact that whatever you're talking about people actually are curious and interested and so it's much more about your message and the content and less about you so that's helped me 
if I if I remember, I'm just a vessel, <laughs> right? That's yeah. sharing information, and then it's not so self conscious, or you're so worried about um, your nerves or how you're coming across. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about influence. Um, so this is another passion of mine in terms of, and you you um, alluded to this just a few moments ago, but. I believe that everyone yearns to be heard and wants to influence, whether you want a better grade in a class or you're looking for a job or you need someone to buy into your plan or your approach. Like at, at any age, at any level, all of us could benefit from being able to influence others. And you wrote and have talked about this connection of being authentic and relatable. And I have heard this and I actually myself sometimes feel this, that you know, influencing, and when I think of influence, I think of selling or, you know, trying to get someone to, to come on board or get to your way of thinking, means that um, you're actually inauthentic, right? Or there's this kind of slimy connotation to, because it's something that you're trying to get from someone else. So I'm interested in your perspective or advice on the kind of juxtaposition of those two things. And so, you know, and so I'm just curious, like, how do you come at that? So it feels authentic and it feels real, but in the end you are trying to either change a behavior or, you know, there's a course of action you want someone to take. So as you were saying that, I had an interesting experience that just popped in my mind. So I was speaking, um, I was speaking on storytelling, which I believe is is really the art of the influential communication. I think it's a big piece of influence. Uh, I was speaking to the Utah Women's Women Lawyers Association. I think that's what the official term was, right? So you've got about 250 women lawyers in the audience. Uh, maybe the worst audience I've ever had. I was going to say, is that note. an easy group? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, I, I probably would not take that gig again. Um, so I I give the speech, and uh, afterwards I'm signing books and stuff, and this lady comes up to me, and she goes, that presentation scared the crap out of me. And I was like, I have never heard, like, that's what? bizarre. Yeah. And I said, I said, okay, do tell, because <laughs> I don't even know what you mean. And she said, I am in the business of prosecuting con men and Ponzi schemes. And I said, okay. She said, everything that you just described is exactly what they do. Uh, And I was like, interesting. uh, So here's, as I thought about that, here's the, the interesting thing is the strategies, the, the tools of influence, they're the exact same as the tools you would use to manipulate. Right. I mean, so you take somebody, well, I don't know if I can completely juxtapose me versus a con man, but I think I can. So, <laughs> like, my goal is to influence people for good, right? Right. To make them better. And a con man's trying to take people's money. Uh, we probably use similar tactics. The only difference between influence and manipulation, in my mind, is intent. Uh huh. It is how you come at the situation. And so if you truly, like if you're in sales, if you truly believe like you're coming at it as I, if I can add value, if I can solve their problem, if I can create a win-win, then we can do business. And the, the rubber meets the road in the fact that would you walk away when you don't think your product will actually serve someone? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to 
lose a commission because the long-term consequence of that is that it could hurt your reputation, right? You, I, I think there's a lot of mindsets that come into this, right? Business is long-term and business is about relationships. And so for me, I don't want a short-term win where I make a little bit of money because I would rather have a long-term reputation and be known as somebody you can do business with. I've, I've done a fair amount of coaching. I've actually never advertised it. People have just come to me and asked right. if I could coach them. And I always tell people, if, if anybody's like, well, I don't know, you know, if I want to make that investment, I'm like, then don't make the investment. Or if at the end of it, you feel like I didn't add value, I'll give you your money back because I would rather you be happy and go evangelize that I'm great to work with than make a, a few bucks off of you. Um, and so I think that's the biggest difference is it's, it's intent because the strategies that I teach, sure, you could probably use them to try and manipulate people if you wanted to, but if you use them with the right intent, then you're going to grow together with that person, build deeper relationships, and ultimately influence them for good. I love that analogy. Like That actually is really helpful, and I also think it's honest and direct because I think sometimes that question or the way that's packaged is not that straightforward. And so I really appreciate that. Um, I think that's a great way of portraying it. Um, in the Power of Influencing book, you also talk about um, two key concepts that aid in influencing. You talk about being humble and outwardly focused. And I'm, I'm hopeful that you'll share that story that you put in the book about when you were 17 and you were talking with your girlfriend. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do. You know, it's funny is that girlfriend got married yesterday. Oh, I, only know that of, I only know that because of Facebook, but that's kind of funny. <laughs> the universe works in mysterious ways and bringing it up again. <laughs> yeah. She's coming back in my life for some reason. So, yeah, I, um, I think we all have those experiences that hopefully humble us, right, and allow us to kind of see when we're off path or when we, the way we come across, like that's the thing, this experience was so eye-opening to me because I did not realize how I was coming across to people. And and so I, I'm grateful that she would have the guts to I say know. something to me. That's, um, that's what I thought of when I read it. I was like, man, she is like, has a lot of courage, right? Yeah, she, like, and because of that, yeah. like I, I, I care about it. Like I respect her. She actually lives in Sydney, Australia. Um, we were there a couple of years ago and she came over to see my family. I like met my wife and, oh, nice. um, hung out with us a little bit. Um, I'm going back to Sydney in a couple months to speak. So I'm sure we'll see her when we're there. Um, but yeah, so 17 years old, I'm, I'm dating this girl. I don't know. It was probably a record. So like a week and a half, I'm not sure. But, uh, <laughs> so, we were sitting there one day and just out of the blue, she looked at me and she goes, you know what your problem is? And I was like, well, that's a great way to start a conversation. <laughs> like it just was so out of the blue. And she goes, you're never genuinely happy for anyone else. And I, I, I kind of pushed back. I was like, what are you talking about? Um, Cause I really had no, and she goes, you just make everything about you. And I, and we kind of went back and forth for a minute. Cause I really didn't get where she was coming from and, and I didn't want to be wrong. And, uh, <laughs> And so she finally stopped me and she goes, okay, let me give you an example. She said, let's say we meet somebody today, you play basketball, 
you meet them and you find out they play basketball. She goes, your automatic response would be, oh, I play basketball too. I'm the starting point guard on the basketball team. It like make it all about you. Right. Right. And as soon as she gave me that example, I was like, oh crap, she's right. You know, like it just, it was just true because I could hear myself saying that. And so it was, it was one of those first experiences. Now the unfortunate part is that I had more of those experiences to try to really get it. And I probably still need more, but, uh, but for me, it was kind of awkward to go, you're right, like I do make conversations about me. So let me share something that's not in the power of influence that I think goes with this. This idea, I think we all do this at times. Um, and, and the way it comes across, I think most of us can relate to if you've ever been in a conversation where somebody seems to one-up everything that you say. Yeah. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. we've all had those conversations. I don't think most people do that because they're a jerk. Some people are jerks, but most people do that because as soon as I share something, you have a thought that pops in your mind or a story or something. You're like, oh, we're going to make a connection. Like, I want to share this. So, but the way we do it, we hijack the conversation, right? It feels kind of like I'm saying, well, why don't you shut up and let's talk about me? You know, it just doesn't (laughs) feel good. And so to fix that, and I did this mostly for me, but I've taught it now to audiences all around the world, is I developed what I call the rule of two. The rule of two is this. Whenever somebody says something about themselves, you have to ask at least two questions before you can talk about yourself. Right. If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at tfasoftskills.com for more information. And I say at least two, because maybe two is enough. You might need five. I don't know. But what it it teaches you to do is to acknowledge what they are saying and to show genuine care and empathy to the subject that they bring up before you either change the subject or add yourself into the subject. And so um, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. I think that skill of acknowledging, because it's okay to share about you. I'm not saying it's not, but what the way we do it, we typically don't acknowledge it. And so it feels like you don't care. Right. Like if I were to send you a text message that says, Hey, let's remember to reach out to this person. And you automatically sent back a text message and say, and reach out to this person. It seems like you negated what I said. Uh-huh. Right. Right. You just, you just made it. No, let's no, It's about this person. But if you were to simply say, oh yeah, thank you for the reminder, and then send another text message that said, hey, while we're on the subject, what if we reach out to this person too? That feels totally different. Right. And well, so, yeah, yeah. And I, I, think, I for me, that was kind of eye-opening that started with that conversation. So there's two things that really stand out for me. One, at 17, you actually uh, could process that because I think there's – a lot of people, and I think this is gender neutral, that do this, and for you, and, and would say it's a character defect, right? So the fact <laughs> that you are able to recognize it, and I loved what you said, like it maybe happened a few more times, right? But there's a mindset or a, a consciousness in which you have to retrain yourself because if that is naturally how you communicate, or like you said, it's genuine, or it's it's not meant to be. Uh, self-absorbed but it's just a way to connect 
So I, I love that, that you're kind of open to it and then willing to readjust. And the other thing that I love about your rule of two, because this is something else I'm just obsessed with, is active listening and the power of active listening and what that really means. And you had mentioned this, and I think in one of the books, and I certainly also talk about this, which is if I'm so worried about what I'm going to say while you're talking, how can I possibly be listening to you? Yes. Um, and a person feels that, and they know that you're not really present. So I think this idea of you know, humility and being outwardly focused ties directly to active listening and really being present and waiting, you know, pausing, waiting, listening, and then following up. And the thing about those, those are, I think when it comes to some of these soft skills and some of the communication skills and things, you and I are referring to them as skills, but I don't think we treat them as skills because skills have to be developed. They have to be practiced. They have to, like, you would naturally say, oh, everyone in the world is great at shooting three-pointers on a basketball court. Right. That's a skill you right. have to develop. Absolutely. But uh, the same thing, nobody's really naturally great at listening. Like, if that is a skill you have to work on and develop. And, and uh, you know, learning how to pause, learning how to interact, learning how to make eye contact, learning how to shut off your mind and say, okay, I'm just going to really focus on what they're going to say. And those things, that, that takes work. At least it has for me. Yeah, I totally agree. I have two more questions if you're open to it. Yeah. Okay. Um, the first is, I, I just in looking at your journey, and I only now have little pieces of it, but, you know, in terms of everything that you've accomplished, I am sure along the way, and you said you fail every day, but that there are failures or setbacks. Was there ever a period of time where you felt like, giving it up or like packing it in like it was just too much and you had to rebound from that yeah probably multiple times um you know i i think that those feelings as an entrepreneur i think you have those days that like it's it can swing so fast right you feel like it's not working it's not working and then something happens you're like oh my gosh i'm killing it you know like it (laughs) yeah it's uh it swings really quick. Probably kind of my crucible moment for me um, in building our first business. My brother and I started a business together in our 20s, and I eventually sold my half to him um, so that I could go speak and do what I'm doing in terms of leadership training. And uh, But in that business, I don't know, early into our business, I took a trip over to Russia to kind of pursue some potential business that we were trying to grow over there and it was a disaster of a trip um i won't give you all the details but the long story short of it is after four days of like no success and virtually no sleep and trying to do everything through a translator and eating virtually no food because russian food is horrible and uh i mean just the whole process was a waste and it was at a time in our business that i didn't have one the time to be spending over there or two the money to be doing it uh and it just bombed i was riding on a russian train for 17 hours back to moscow which was really fun and it was in february and i just I found myself at like a really low kind of lonely point where I started to really go, what am I doing? Like, this is, this is stupid. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm literally in the middle of Russia and like, this is bizarre. What? And, and I really started, I mean, I, I really kind of got to a 
a bad mental place where I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm just going to go back and what's the point? And, you know, for me, I think those moments, um, they either make you or break you. And I, for me, I, I realized I had to change my state. So literally I was laying on a bed and I'm in this little car with a Russian family, father, mother, and like a five-year-old little boy. And I jumped off of the cot cause I had to change my physical state. Cause I was like, this is going bad, you know? And so I scared this family. They're like, what is he doing? And, uh, but I, I opened the door to start to walk the train just to try and change things. It was February. So it was like negative 40 degrees. So I closed the door cause that was not going to work. And I got back up in that bed and, I pulled, I didn't have anything with me except for a book I had read on the way there. And I flipped through the book and I found a couple of empty pages and I wrote at the very top of it, a quote that I've always loved is actually up on my wall here. And it says, when you're interested, you do what's convenient. When you're committed, you do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And, and for the next like three hours on that train, I recommitted to my goals and wrote out like what I really wanted to do and, and what I was really committed to. And, and for me, like that moment that was probably the closest I came to quitting and just going, this is ridiculous, um, was also the moment that changed my business. Not because we did any business in Russia, like that was a waste, but it changed me. And I came back with a different attitude. I, when I talked to people, I had a different tone in my voice. And when they looked in my eyes, they knew I was serious. And so that's the thing those hardest moments they really will they'll make you or break you and you have to decide how you're going to look at them and what you're going to do because they can fuel you and push you forward or they can be the stumbling block that eventually takes you out of the game right right no that is thank you so much for sharing that because failure and disappointment is hard no matter what and sometimes people only see the successes or they see the glossy books, right? And they don't think about those dark moments. And I think recognizing that you have them, and I love what you said too about changing your environment. Um, it's as simple as maybe opening the door, and in your case, you can leave, but um, just to shake up the the current moment, I think yeah. is a great little tool and a trick that um, you can use to kind of help get you, you know, sort of shake your head back on. Um, And this just leads into my final question because you started to talk about it just in terms of how you reframed your mind. But as someone who obviously I'm sure you have a lot of commitments and you've got a big family that you're taking care of and um, there's probably a lot coming at you in a lot of different ways. And I'm curious just for you personally, what are some of your rituals and habits? Like, do you meditate regularly? Are you someone, I mean, you had talked about just now, like kind of manifesting your destiny, which I'm, I'm getting more in, informed about. I'm working on that myself is sort of picturing and envisioning what is it that I really want and then how to manifest that. But I'm curious for you personally, as you have evolved and accomplished these milestones, what, what's been working for you? Uh, I think there's lots of different things. Um, for me, I, I, I don't meditate specifically. My wife's big into meditation. It's been awesome for her. And I, I, I need to, (laughs) I I have at times, um, I mean, I pray and I think there's some similarities there, but, but specifically meditating, I haven't got into a habit of doing that. Um, so uh, I spend time every day 
fueling my mind. I'm a big reader. Yeah. Um, so uh, I do that. I listen to a lot of podcasts and books on tape. So, you know, when I'm working out, when I'm doing different things, as I'm walking through the airport, I'm typically listening to something that I can put in my mind. And sometimes, like right after a speech, it's literally my speech that I just recorded. Right. Um, right. And so, you know, but going back and reviewing it. So constantly working on that. Uh, exercise is a, a big thing. I think, uh, you know, for me, my health is a top priority because, you know, I can't say, no, I'm not going to show up and be on stage today. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I need to take care of that. And, and being physically fit, uh, I think keeps is a huge piece of just, I think it affects my energy in a big way. Like I, I'm somebody who has a lot of energy, but for me to operate in what I do, I need to have like constant energy that I'm yeah. going way too much in a day, but you know, I can get it all done. Uh, so those are some things that, that make a big difference for me. Um, other things that I think have made a big difference is uh, I, I'm in a mastermind group. Um, and so there's a group of speakers, authors, entrepreneurs that I actually had a call with today. We were on the phone for an hour. Uh, we we meet monthly, uh, and there's a handful of mentors and other peers that I really respect and value their opinion and their association that I consciously am connecting with on a regular basis. And you know, hopefully, I bring value to that equation as well. But I, I gain tremendous value from them. Um, you know, hosting a podcast is something that it, it feeds my mind in a huge way because I'm just curious. I love to learn from people, and so you know, as I'm interviewing people and and uh, doing some of that, um, that's that's a great process. So I think there's several things for me. I think we all kind of find our own rhythm in that and in terms of what it is that works. But, uh, you know, personal development, um, uh, spiritual development, physical development, making those part of my everyday, I think are important things that I've put in place and that are kind of systems for me and, and keep me where I need to be. Yeah, it's funny, <clears throat> not funny, haha, but just, you know, interesting in terms of everything you described, a lot of that are, it's action oriented. So you're, at, you know, you're doing, right? It's not like you're yeah. thinking about it and you're not, you know, just writing it in a journal to be for tomorrow, right? The, a lot of what you described is very active um, versus passive. And I think that's a great, that's great counsel or it's, you know, just great advice in terms of if people are in a rut or you're feeling stuck or you're trying to get, from point A to point B, sometimes just taking action in some way can help kind of make you uh, get out of bed, go for that run, you know, whatever it is that's sort of slowing you down. Um, all those things that you mentioned, I think, can really help and apply to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I, I'm, I'm big on that. I think, you know, we could go back to that question you asked in terms of the, uh, the five attributes of entrepreneurs yeah. that I think everybody needs and what's that a sixth and it's, it's to be a doer, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's, yeah. it, you, you've got to get after it every day. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much. I know that you um, have a lot going on and so taking this time out and uh, meeting with me and being on my podcast, I really, really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation and um, I just am um, so appreciative and thank you so much. Yeah, this has been fun. Thank you. No problem. Take care. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye.
Thank you again for listening and thank you, Ty. This was such a fun conversation for me as we have so many similar interests and are certainly both passionate about developing our future leaders. A special thanks to Missy who introduced me to Ty and also the producer of this episode. If you liked this discussion, please subscribe and rate Relatable on iTunes and follow us on Twitter.